Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. I thought a lot about what I was going to say to kick things off this morning. Um, at first, I was going to say, hey, we are pausing our normal you know, schedule for a moment of fasting and prayer uh, to pray that Georgia would get into the CFP. Uh, unfortunately, the selection has already gone public. It's been made. We did not get in. So now I'm, ask, I'm just asking for prayer and fasting for me. Um, because, uh, you know, there's something that just, I mean, it's either very close to it or it feels like hatred in my heart towards the University of Alabama. Um, and I need, uh, oh, no. <laughs> there's so many other great churches in town you Bama fans can go to. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'll make it. Pray for your pastor. I just feel like I've seen this movie before. It's just like a rerun, but what can you do? So, hey, uh, a couple things before we jump into the day. Uh, first uh, and foremost, I just want to encourage you. We are, we are heading down the home stretch toward Christmas, and our Christmas Eve gatherings, our Christmas Eve services, they are the best opportunity for you to invite a friend, a family member, a coworker, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, someone who's maybe been disconnected from church for a long time, this is the best chance you have at getting somebody to church to hear the message of the gospel that you've been praying for or that you care deeply about. And my commitment to you is the same as it is every single year. I'm gonna preach Jesus, I'm gonna share the hope of the gospel and the truth of the Christmas message, and my challenge to you is to invite someone. Send a text message, send two, send three, invite somebody to join you and to be with you to celebrate Christmas this year, amen? So that's challenge number one. Um, the second thing I, I wanna ask you to pray about and to consider as we head towards the end of the year is a year-end offering to support the ministry of Hills Church. So many incredible things that we do as a church throughout the year, investing in the next generation, reaching our community and even the world with the name of Jesus and the hope of the gospel. And so as you're praying about uh, honoring God first in your tithes and your offerings, I, I wanna encourage you also to pray about what would God have me give in terms of a year-end donation to the ministry of Hills Church and what Jesus is doing in and through this church? It's four different ways that you can give. Those are on the side screens there. And I would, I would encourage you and challenge you just to genuinely in your heart before God, talk with your spouse and pray about it. See what the Lord would lead you to do. See how he would direct you in your year-end offering. All right, I'm gonna pray for myself and for you guys, and uh, then we're gonna dive into God's word together. So Lord, I ask right now by your Holy Spirit that you would give me clarity as I preach your word. Lord, I pray for all of us in the room that we would hear clearly from you through your word. Lord, I pray that all uh, just distractions would be removed and just for a few moments right here this morning, um, I pray for clarity, 
for an ability to focus and to hear and to understand the implications of Christmas, of Advent, of what this means. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So as I mentioned, we are taking a break from our series through the Gospel of John. We're going to pick back up on that next year after we always have a, a series after Christmas that encourages people to come back to church. So we'll be doing that in January. But after that, we will be going back into the Gospel of John. I really believe it's not just a important book for our church and for all of us as believers, but what we're heading into for the rest of that gospel is so profound for what it means to walk with Jesus and live the Christian life. But for the next few weeks, we're going to be diving into our series, our Advent series at Hills Church. And if you didn't grow up in the church or you haven't been around the church or maybe um, you're newer to the faith, Advent is just a season. It's a time of preparation, of anticipation for Christmas. And the early church fathers, those who first began to walk and follow, walk with Jesus and follow him in the early church, they said, man, there are, there are two moments in the life of Jesus, in the story of Jesus that are so important. They're so meaningful and powerful. These moments are so important that we need to, to build into our calendars. We need to build into our schedules uh, a little bit of time before these days come so that we can prepare our hearts to fully receive the truth of what happened on those days. And those two days are Christmas and Easter. When God became a man through his son, Jesus Christ, that's what we celebrate on Christmas. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, when God conquered death through Jesus on Easter, we, we get ready for Easter, the truth of Easter, through a season called Lent. It's a season where we, where we fast, where we pray to get our hearts ready for what God wants to speak to us and remind us in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Advent simply means arrival, it's a time where we prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus. And every week of Advent, there's a different um, word that is associated with the arrival of Christ that we celebrate. So week one is the word hope. Week two is joy. Week three is peace. And then week four is love. Because with the arrival of Jesus came also, the arrival of hope, joy, peace, and love, the truest expression of those things, the truest expression of what those words are and what they mean. And when Jesus was born, God said, light is coming into a dark world to light up the night, to light up the path that leads to God and that leads us back to life. And so that's what this Advent season is about. That's what the next several weeks are about. For us to pause and consider, to meditate, to think about, to pray about what actually happened on Christmas. What does Christmas mean? What does the birth of Jesus mean? And how does that apply to our lives? That's what we're going to look at. And so I'm going to begin by reading a passage of scripture from Matthew 1, verse 18 to 25. It'll be on the side screen so you can follow along. Let's listen to God's word together. Matthew 1, verse 18. 
Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Friends, something that we have to see, one of the most basic fundamental truths about Christmas, the core reality, the pillar, the foundation of Christmas, what Christmas is about, it's about something that we refer to in the Christian faith as the doctrine of the incarnation. Incarnation. And here's what I mean by that. The incarnation is simply a fancy theological term for God becoming man, for God becoming a human, for God becoming like us in every way. That's what the incarnation is. When Jesus was born, it was God himself in that manger in the form of his son, Jesus. And so what Matthew tells us right here off the bat is, is simply this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The important words that we have to see through this is God and us. This is what it means. That's what the word means. Incarnation means, Emmanuel means that Jesus is fully God, he's fully divine, and he's fully human. The incarnation, what we celebrate on Christmas is the fact that God became a human. He made himself vulnerable. He entered into our weakness. He entered into the full experience of humanity on that first Christmas morning. So Christmas is about Jesus being fully God and fully man, and it's about God with us. God coming to be with us. Jesus was utterly unique. There has never been and will never be anyone like Jesus. He is the God-man, God with us. But my question is this. What are the practical implications of this? What does this actually mean for our lives as we are celebrating Advent, as we're preparing our hearts for Christmas? What does it mean that God became a man, that God is with us. What are some things that we can learn about this and apply to our own lives? There's four things that I think we can take from this. Number one, because he's God, God with us, because he's divine, it means there is no middle ground with Jesus. 
We'll talk about that in a minute. Number two, it means we don't have to fear the future. Because God became a man, because Jesus was fully God, and because he was divine, it means he is sovereign and the future is not uncertain. There will always be hope. There will always be an anchor of hope for us in Christ. We don't have to be afraid of what's to come. Now, because he's human, because he's God, this is what we can practically apply to our lives, but because he's human, it means he gets us. He understands what we're facing. He knows what we're walking through. He can relate to us in every way. We're going to look at that in the book of Hebrews for a second. And then lastly, because he's human, it means we can be saved. God becoming human means he came to rescue us, to save us from sin and death. It took God to bring us back to God, but it took a human to pay for the sacrifice of our sins. Friends, this are, I mean, these are some of the foundational things of what it means for us to celebrate Christmas and what it means that Christ came to earth for us. So number one, because he's God, there is no middle ground. And haven't we seen this already in the Gospel of John? Haven't we seen this already throughout the Gospel of John? Jesus does not allow people, anybody in the Gospel of John, to sort of be undecided about him. Have you noticed that? The claims that Jesus makes about himself are so bold and outlandish that either people fell at his feet and worshiped him, or they tried to kill him. Or they called him a crazy person that was possessed by a demon. I mean, he said things like, I am the living water from heaven. Whoever comes to me and drinks deeply of me will not die but live forever. That's a bold claim. He says, I am the bread of life, the bread come down from heaven to bring eternal life to the world. Bold claim. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He used the very name of God, the I am, to refer to himself. He doesn't give us the option of a middle ground. Now, if Jesus was just a man, if he was just a good teacher, if he was just an inspirational leader, then we could listen to his words, consider his words, say, thank you very much. I'll go and consider what you've said compared to the other teachers and leaders of the day, and I'll make up my mind when I make up my mind. That's not how we can respond to Jesus, because if Jesus is who he claimed to be, if he is indeed God, the one true God in human form, the creator and sustainer of all things, the author of your life and mine, if he is God's solution to sin and death, then what he says and who he is and what he's done for us is not optional for you to believe in, and it's not something to be casually received or casually rejected. Life and death is on the line. There is no middle ground with Jesus. A couple years ago, I, um, I went on my very first zip lining course. Anybody ever done this? 
yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's a little terrifying. It was pretty high. Several of the runs were almost a mile long, and they, they went over these really deep ravines, canyon-type things, hundreds of feet above the ground. And crazy enough, the only reason that I was actually there doing that is because my 12-year-old daughter said, I want to go do this. Now, if you're a dad, you can't chicken out in that moment. You got to show up, be like, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Let's go, sweetheart. I'm about this. And uh, we get there, and, you know, the first one's like a little warm-up run, not too far. We were in like a, a high stand, like look like a hunting stand or something, and it went down to a little platform just so we kind of learned the basics. And um, the, the gentleman who was leading us through the zipline course and giving us instructions, you know, on how to do this, he looked at my daughter and he said, okay, sweetheart, you, you need to curl up like a cannonball. You need to become extremely aerodynamic because on our longest run, it goes really high to really low, but then to help people slow down, the zip line goes uphill at the end so you don't hit the end too fast. However, because you're so light, you're so small, you need to stay tucked in tight so you actually make it to the end. You don't stop too early and slide back to the middle and just sit there suspended 300 feet above the canyon. My daughter is now having second guesses about this entire thing. He looks at me and he goes, now for you, sir, a completely different strategy. He goes, have you heard of a flying squirrel? <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah, why? He's like, I need you to go full flying squirrel about 200 yards out. I need you to become like a parachute because you're so big, you're gonna come in at 40, 50 miles an hour and if you don't slow yourself down with the wind before you hit the brake system on the zip line, it's gonna whiplash you straight up into the wire. My daughter and I, I mean, we're like, okay, forget about this. We are going home. <laughs> this is crazy, but... Here's the deal, I, do you think I listened to this guy? Yes. Do you think I obeyed his instruction? Yes, why? Well, because he's probably, in my mind, I'm thinking he's done this zip line at least 100 times. He's seen a lot of people do it the wrong way, and his instruction matters because he's the zip line guy. And so because we followed his instructions, thankfully my daughter didn't get stranded in the middle of a 300 foot drop. And thankfully I didn't whiplash myself into the wire at the end. Um, here's the deal. When it comes to Jesus, if he is God, then his instructions are not subjective, they're not optional. If he's God who became human, if he really is the one who made us and created us, if he's really the author and sustainer of your life, do you not think that whatever he says to you and to I should be fully followed and obeyed with everything in our whole heart? Not, not because he's heavy-handed or mean or he just loves rules, no, because he made us, he designed us, and the one who created us is the one who should be able to speak into our lives about what it means to live abundant, thriving, joy-filled, peace-filled life. Even though sometimes obeying him and following him feels like dying to ourselves. 
But because he's God, he's the author and creator of life, there is no middle ground with him. I think, I think the church in America, I think in general, we struggle with this when it comes to Jesus. I think, I think many of us, and, and I've been in this category in different seasons of my own life, but many of us, we, we look at the instructions of Jesus. We look at the claims of Christ. We look at the way of the gospels and we sort of moderately accept it. We sort of in a lukewarm way say, I'll go this far, but no further. I'm not really gonna fully surrender to Jesus and center my life around him. My time, my talent, my treasure, my words, my thoughts, my schedule, my finances, whatever. I'm, I'm not gonna surrender all of this to Jesus. I'm just gonna sort of pick and choose the teachings that I like. I'll apply those to my life and I'm good to go. And if he's God, that's not an option. We have to surrender ourselves to him fully and worship him with our whole hearts and enter into the journey, the imperfect, broken, flawed journey of our lives where we learn to follow him and surrender to him more and more each day. So that's the first implication. Because he's God, God with us, there is no middle ground with Jesus. Number two, the second thing we learn is that we don't have to fear the future. This is an amazing truth about Advent, about leading up to Christmas. This is one of the most beautiful things that we can consider. Because Jesus is God, we don't have to be afraid of the future. This past week, I came across a letter that was written by a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a famous German theologian, a leader in the church during World War II, and he actually helped organize and lead one of the primary um, resistance groups against Hitler in Nazi Germany. And for his efforts, which got discovered, he got thrown in jail, and eventually he was martyred. He was killed for what he was trying to do and his faith. And near the end of his life, he was writing a letter to his fiance from prison. He writes this letter to his fiance, and I want you to see the words. They're gonna be on the side screen. In fact, I'll just read it off the side screen, but I want you to hear what he says. Near the end of his letter, this is how he closes it. He says, and then, just when everything is bearing down on us to such an extent that we can scarcely withstand it, the Christmas message comes to tell us that our ideas are wrong and that what we take to be evil and dark is really good and light because it comes from God. Our eyes are at fault, that is all. God is in the manger, wealth and poverty, light and darkness, comfort and abandonment. No evil can befall us. Whatever men may do to us, they cannot but serve the God who is secretly revealed as love and rules the world and our lives. Whew. Imagine writing that from a Nazi prison cell. Imagine the weight of believing that I don't have to be afraid of the future even if I'm imprisoned in a Nazi prison cell. 
Even the things that Dietrich says, even the things that look like the, the pit of despair and hopelessness, and it looks like we may never see each other again, and it looks like all hope is lost. Even here, the God of love is sovereign and in control, and I don't have to be afraid of what's coming next. That's what Christmas reminds us of. That's what the incarnation reminds us of. You see, if Jesus was just a man, if he wasn't God, then there's nothing he could do about our situations. There's no way he could redeem or work even our greatest pains for good in our lives. Advent means arrival. The first arrival of Jesus, think about this. The first arrival of Jesus when he was born that first Christmas morning, it was a foreshadowing of the last advent, the last arrival, the second coming of Jesus. You see, here's what we learn. For the Christian, our entire life is an advent season as we wait for the final arrival of Jesus the final advent, the second coming where all the promises come true. Revelation 21.5 says, see, Jesus says, see, I am making all things new. That's what we're looking forward to. That's the end of the story. That's our ultimate hope. And the first advent is just a foreshadowing, the first arrival of God on earth as a human, the coming of Jesus. It's just a foreshadowing of the second coming. I thought about it this week. I just was meditating on this and thinking about this truth of God becoming a man. And, and I began to ask the question, if God was actually gonna become a human and be raised by a human family and live life as a human on this earth, what would he spend his time doing? What did Jesus spend his time doing? Did he launch a political campaign? Did he immediately set up meetings with Herod and Caesar and all the rulers, the Jewish authorities? No. He grew up in obscurity. For the first 30 years of his life, he was building chairs and tables. He was a carpenter. In a little, you know, outskirt town in Galilee, in the backwater of Galilee, he's a carpenter. And then when he begins his public ministry, he walks around and he goes to the outcasts, the poor, the hurting, and he heals the sick. He casts out demons. He opens deaf ears. He opens blind eyes. Suddenly, mute tongues can speak. And he goes around healing all the brokenness and the sorrow and the oppression and the pain of this world. And he also raises the dead. He walks on water. He calms the storms. He asserts himself as divine, as God with us. But why, of all the things that he could do, why did he do those things? Because the first advent, the first arrival of Jesus, the first Christmas is just a taste, a foreshadowing of the last advent, the second coming of Jesus when all sickness is gone, all tears are wiped away, all things are made new. We don't have to be afraid of the future. The next thing is this, because he's human, not just God, but fully God and fully human, he gets us. He understands us. 
He knows what we're walking through. I love this passage in Hebrews, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. It says this of Jesus, since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. That's Jesus. The son of God, let us hold fast to our faith. Let us hold on to what we believe for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, to understand, to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, in every way has been tempted as we are yet without sin. He gets us. He knows what we're going through. He's been through it. That's an amazing, comforting truth about Christmas. You don't serve a God. You don't worship a God or pray to a God that can't understand what you're going through. He gets us. It goes on to say, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus moves toward us. God moves toward us in Christmas and he invites us to move toward him. He says, draw near to me with confidence. I've come to earth in the form of my son, Jesus Christ. This is what God is saying. And I've come in my son, Jesus, to pay the penalty of your sin, to take away all your sin, to to help you, to give you a way to overcome death. Therefore, with confidence, draw near to me. In your time of need, when you're facing difficult seasons, Christmas is the ultimate invitation from God to say, don't be ashamed. I understand what you're walking through. Come to me. Come to me with your needs, with your sorrows. Jesus gets us. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be in pain, physical pain and emotional pain. He knows what it feels like to experience sorrow and to weep. He knows what it's like to be the victim of injustice. He knows what it's like to be tempted to do what is wrong, but to never act on it. To feel the temptation, but not to act on it. He knows what anger feels like. He knows what it feels like to be betrayed, forsaken, abandoned in his hour of greatest need. He knows what it feels like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to grow up in a family with siblings. Yeah, that one got Charles' attention. He gets us. Jesus fully entered into the human experience. We can go to him, friends, with our hurts, our defects, our sorrow, our pain, our weaknesses. We can go to him in our time of need. And last but not least, I'm gonna close with this. Because he's human, not just fully God, but fully human, we can be saved. We can be saved. You see, if God was only a God of justice and holiness, which, trust me, you want God, if there is a God, which there is, you don't want him to be a fickle, emotional God like the Greek gods who just makes decisions based on what he ate for breakfast that day. I don't know wherever his emotions lead him in that moment. No, you want a God who is perfect and just and true. But you don't want a God that is only perfect and just and true. 
You want a God that is also loving. And you see, if God was just perfect and holy and just and true, he could have easily said to the entire world, I told you guys not to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I told you if you eat it, you're gonna die. If you turn away from me, it's gonna ruin everything. Don't eat it. We ate it. And what happened? Death entered the scene. Wars began to break out. Humans began to fight with one another. And he could have easily said, look, because I'm a God of justice and holiness and I told you the standard, I told you what would happen. He could have just said, I, I'm just gonna let you suffer the consequences of your decision. I'm not coming down there to deal with this. But because he's a God of love, he says, not only am I coming down to rescue you and to save you from your decision to turn away from me, to rescue you and save you from sin and death, I'm gonna do it in such a way where I pay the sacrifice for sin, but I save the sinners. I'm gonna do it in such a way where I come and I receive the penalty as a human, a perfect sacrifice for the sin of the world so that you can live. I'll never forget when I was probably nine years old, maybe 10, our family took a vacation, a summer vacation with some friends to the Outer Banks, North Carolina. And there had been, I think, a uh, a hurricane or something off the coast, a really big storm had been off the coast either just before we got there or it was hitting off the coast while we were there. Bottom line, the waves were massive, massive waves. My dad swam in college. He was a collegiate level swimmer. I grew up swimming. We were all, me and my brothers and sisters, we were comfortable in the water and we loved boogie boarding. We loved body surfing. And my dad's like, let's go. Let's get out there. Let's get after it. But these waves were huge. The undertow was huge. And my dad had to keep a really close eye on me and my brothers and sister, my brother and sister. And I'll never forget, if you're a surfer or you've ever been in big surf, you can relate to this, trying to catch a wave on my boogie board. And I went a little bit too early <laughs> And so instead of just riding the top of the wave or riding the inside of it, you know, in the way you're supposed to on a boogie board, I got sucked up inside this thing and slammed against the bottom. And the edge of the boogie board just hit me straight in my gut, knocked the wind out of me. I barely remember what happened next. My dad saw it happen. He was maybe 10 or 15 yards away from me. And the air's knocked out of me. I'm terrified. I immediately start to panic. I'm disoriented. I, I get my head above water, but I can't even breathe in because I can't breathe. You know that feeling when your lungs are constricted and you can't inhale. And I finally get a little breath in only to get smashed by the next wave coming and sucked back under. And there was a split second there. I, I'll never forget it. As a nine-year-old, I thought, I don't know if my dad can see me under the murky waters. I don't know if he knows where I am, but I, I, I might be done. I don't, this is terrifying. I don't know what's gonna happen. And, and right in that moment, my father reached his arm through the water. He grabbed me, he pulled me up 
brought me to shore because he could stand against the tide. He could stand against the waves. He brought me to safety. And for the next 20, 30 minutes, I was coughing up salt water from my lungs, but I was fine. I was alive. What I did not need in that moment was a coach or a teacher while I'm drowning, while I can't breathe, while I'm getting pummeled by the waves. I didn't need somebody from the shore saying, hey, Jonathan, just calm down. You know, swim to the top, take a breath, and, you know, slowly swim in. You'll be fine. Oh, Jonathan, another wave is coming. Go under for this one, then come up after the next one. I didn't, I couldn't even receive instruction from anybody. I was under the water drowning. I needed to be rescued. And the only way my dad could rescue me is if he came to where I was so he could lay hold of me and bring me to safety where he was. Friends, the Christmas message is simply this. The reason God, the reason God became a man in the form of Jesus Christ, God with us, Emmanuel, was because it took God to come all the way to where we were drowning, lost, dead in sin, to reach in, to lay hold of us and to bring us back to life, to bring us back to heaven. There is no coaching or teaching or rule manual that you can follow to get out of a situation like that. You don't need a teacher, you need a savior. And that's what Christmas is about. Because he's human, we can be saved. Because he moved toward us and came to us where we were to rescue us, we can be saved from sin and death. And through faith in him, we can enter into eternal life. Friends, as we head towards Christmas, I pray these next several weeks you would consider the doctrine of the incarnation Emmanuel, God with us, fully God, fully human. There's no middle ground with Jesus, but we don't have to fear the future. The first advent is just pointing us towards the final advent when he comes and makes all things new. And because he's human, he gets us. He knows where you're at and what you're walking through. And he has reached all the way into your situation and is offering you today the very same thing he's been offering for 2,000 years. Salvation. Will you take hold of him as he's taken hold of you? Will you turn to him? Will you trust in him? Friends, we're gonna close with communion. But before we do, I wanna invite anyone in this room who's never put their faith in Christ to take that step today. Anyone who realizes, I've kind of been half in, half out with Jesus. Kind of said, I'll go this far, but no farther with Jesus. And if you wanna take a step today and say, I'm not perfect, I'm a mess, I don't even know what full and total surrender to Jesus looks like. But I want to take that step today. Then I want to encourage you right now and want to ask everybody else in the room, just with eyes closed and heads bowed, that we would pray with those right now who want to take a step of faith and move towards Jesus. If that's you, I want to ask you to raise your hand high right now. And I want to pray with you because he's here. He's with you. 
It's no accident you're here today and he's offering new life in this moment. So if that's you, please raise your hand. I would love to pray with you. Yeah, thank you. Let's pray before we take communion together. For those who raised your hands and wanna take this step, please pray with me from your own heart. It has to be your words. But I want you to say something like this in your heart to God. Start by saying, thank you, Jesus, that you came all the way to where I was. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for my sins on the cross. Say to him in your heart, Jesus, I believe you rose from the dead so that I could have new life. By faith in you, I have new life. And in your heart, commit to him now, Lord, I wanna follow you. I wanna walk with you all my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, we have a gift for you. We have a Bible for you. We would love to meet you, to talk with you. Please come and see someone on our team um, at one of our welcome tents. I'll, I'll be at those back doors after the service. I'd love to say hello to you, to pray with you. For the rest of us, we're gonna close with communion. And in this moment, just remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us when he died on the cross, which is represented by the bread, the cracker, and the juice, the broken body of Jesus that was crucified for us on the cross, and the shed blood of Christ that was offered to us through his death. Friends, let's take communion together as we close our time. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.